In our industry, the greatest resource we have is our people. The men and women who have poured, served, seated, greeted, and worked tirelessly to help us thrive. Yelp for Restaurants would like to support you in recognizing their efforts by giving back to those who have given us so much. The surveys have returned for a second year. This first-of-its-kind set of awards celebrates our front-of-house workers. Winners receive a beautifully designed surveys trophy and a $3,000 tip. That's right, $3,000 in their pocket. Do you know someone deserving of a surveys award? Maybe they work at your restaurant. Visit theservies.com today and nominate them for a chance to win. Let's support the service industry together. Do so by nominating someone today. No purchase necessary must be 18 plus and a U.S. resident. Six nominated contest winners will receive a prize of $3,000. Nominations must be submitted between July 31st, 2023 and August 23rd, 2023. See the official rules available at theservies.com. Now here we go. My philosophy is you're losing customers because you know there's people that are going to come visit you. I mean, we have the data. We know people want ice cream over the winter. Obviously, it's less in the summer. But closing your store for four or five months, now you're giving them an excuse to go somewhere else, right? So are they going to go to a competitor that is open, right? Are they going to the grocery store to get a sweet treat? Where are they going to because you're not open, right? And so one of the things I've always tried to do in my career in the frozen tree centers industries, how do you set things up to be able to, for it to financially make sense to be open in the winter? Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. How do you successfully open hundreds of locations in just a few years and ensure that each one is a smashing success? You need a plan, and that plan has to work every single time, regardless of location. Today we chat with Casey Cooley, a franchising expert who's helped Jeremiah's Italian Ice franchisees effectively launch blockbuster locations all over the country. In our conversation, we discuss the marketing strategy they've developed that takes franchisees from two months out to a month after opening. That's a quick question. So at my time at Marco's Pizza, I met Brian Stevens, who is the president of Marco's Pizza, as well as Cam Cummins, who is the chief development officer. I came on with them to be the director of development for kind of the new areas of growth and opportunities for the company, right? So a lot of the middle, the Midwest and the West Coast were some markets where they didn't necessarily have a lot of growth then. And so I worked with Cam and Brian on creating, uh, from a development perspective, the processes we needed to implement to be able to grow in those markets, right? And part of that's identifying and growing with franchisees, whether they're internally or externally, and then as well as just identifying that real estate, right? And kind of take them through the opening process because they just didn't have that support person, right? And so I was the liaison from a real estate person and starting to connect training and operations and marketing at the appropriate times during the development process to help them go from, okay, we found a site, now let's go open this location. And so based on my background in franchising and having pretty good knowledge of kind of how those steps occur through the opening process, that was a role I did with them and got to really learned a lot of the real estate process from Brian, a lot of the sales development process from Cam, because that was my first real true understanding 
an experience and actually learning from someone that's done it before. Everything before that, I kind of just learned on my own and learned by trying things out and seeing what worked and really at the end of the day, just keeping the franchisees and the restaurant operators first. But now like having guys who have done this really big companies at really big scale, being able to polish my tools and my knowledge of what I could do to be able to make the process for franchisees even better. Most independents dream of scaling, and many of them see that path to growth through franchising. But in your mind, after having worked with multiple brands, what makes a brand franchisable? Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of people are, are, will say, well, if you have like a couple of good locations that are really successful. But I think one of the things we really look at from Pivotal's perspective, based on our experience, is as a restaurant group or as an entity, have you tested scaling yourself, right? A lot of times we'll see a concept that has three or five locations in their home market. It's doing really well and they have great sales and great, making great money. And they have people knocking on the door being like, I want to franchise this. I want to franchise this and to the point where a lot of times the founders are like, okay, let's just do this. Right. We really want to see a brand uh, start in their home market and then test in something that isn't incredibly far away, but something that's far away enough to where the founder and the founder's team is having to test those procedures and those processes and the people they have in place to be able to say, okay, we're going to open a store four or five hours away. What does that look and feel like? What are the things we think we have that may not be working? Or what are the things we absolutely don't have at all that we have to create through that process? And so we see a brand that's done that and done that successfully and probably learned a lot from it too. That really gives them the ability to say, okay, I kind of did this as a franchisee would. I had a little bit create the process myself, but also learned a lot by doing that. And the biggest learning gap we usually see is everything that happens between kind of the eight weeks before you open and then the eight weeks after you open, right? Because that becomes very market specific in regards to how do you launch the brand? How do you connect a brand to market that doesn't know you at all? The final steps of construction and getting closer to the inspection, the CEO and the store opening. There's a lot going on there, right? And so now you're kind of seeing, okay, who's rising to the occasion from your team's perspective? How quickly is the brand connecting to the community? How big is that store opening? We don't call soft open, we call it store opening. We believe in opening big and staying big. So it's really important to us is how big of a buzz can you create when you open your location? You're having a great first day of sales. I think holistically going through that process as a founder and as a founder's team, and understanding how that brand grows in a brand new market is very, very critical before a founder says, I'm going to turn franchise on. Well, I don't even know if saying that there's no soft opening makes you strategic or perceptive because I spent over 20 years in the industry and there was a time where there were soft openings. You look as recent as the early 2000s, you could open, you could do a mediocre job and people like, oh, we know it's our soft opening. The first couple of weeks are a soft opening. But the fact that you say there's no soft opening is more a statement of fact than it is a strategy. Consumers today assume that when you are open on day one, you will execute at as high a level as you will at the end of year one. Right. That's a lot of the things that we really try to identify the brand and also identify the franchise partner as well. If you look in the emerging franchise spaces we kind of play in today, big attribute of that franchisee has to be, they call it a combination of like a brand ambassador 
and the mayor of their mile, right? Shaking hands, kissing babies, being friends with everyone, meeting everyone in their community or whether they're willing to do that or they're already that person, right? There could be two different people like that. But being able to do that through the development process while they're under construction, while they're doing their training, while they're doing just set up of their store, going out there in the community, the more naturally the franchisee is in that in regards to just being comfortable with that and using kind of we call LSM local store marketing techniques that we kind of drive to a brand to say like, okay, like you're naturally this person. Now let's strategize kind of what that looks and feels like. Let's put metrics behind local store marketing. Who are you going to go to? How are you going to talk to them? You talk to a church and a school, completely different. You talk to a business and a nonprofit, completely different, right? What are the metrics you're going after when you talk to them? What are the offers you're going to offer them? When are they going to come into the store? Building a holistic program, again, to drive your constituents in your community of different groups of people to drive them to that store to help you be as big as possible that first day. Is there a blueprint for that? I mean, are you providing, so like on that LSM strategy, are you saying this is the plan? These are your targets, local schools, local churches, office buildings with this many people, apartment complexes with this. You guys have a blueprint for that? We do. There's kind of the framework of what we've done over our career, but we also work with the brands that we work with. Because each brand is a little different. And how do you approach those people, right? Whether your offers, if your breakfast concept is going to be different than if your lunch concept, if you're a burger concept, if you're a pizza concept, if you're an ice cream concept, right? Each of those are going to be a little bit different from an offerings perspective and your cost of goods, your cost of food, and just your ability to get food out there fast. Our ice cream concert, Jeremiah's Italian Ice, it's really easy to give away that product, right? So we give away as much product as we can. One, we're a new brand. That's a little bit of a learning curve. What is this thing? What is a gelati? You're telling me you layer ice cream and Italian ice with different flavors. It sounds good, but when you like hand someone a gelati and say, here you go, like try one on us. We're going to open it a week. That's a really good way to get people back in your store, right? And so we do have a blueprint of a framework of this is the way PGP opens a store. And then we add in the brand elements to be like, how does that best fit the brand in regards to training, execution of product, getting it out the door to those constituents, and the best way to bring them back into the store for the opening. For me, to really simplify restaurant opening and restaurant success, it really comes down to three things, right? Building awareness, getting food in people's mouths, and then reminding them that you exist. That's kind of what the formula is. I want to talk about the eight weeks leading up to opening. Can you walk me through what that looks like, what that prescribed critical path looks like for franchisees? It's a really important time in the process. It's a really serious time in the process and a really stressful time in the process for a franchisee, especially a first-time franchisee, because likely they are either at training or completing their own training, right? whether you're kind of your franchise owner training or your operating partner training, whatever the brand does, coming back and they're going through probably the last final weeks of construction. They're also probably starting to hire and train their own staff a little bit. They're going through making sure my equipment gets there and making sure it's set up correctly, trying to get the health permits and the CEO. And a lot of times marketing is not on the top of the list, right? And so having those regimented weekly calls to be able to say, let's just make marketing top of mind right now. Where are you at in the marketing of this, right? What's your activation plan? Who are you going after? Let's start planning those weeks closer to the opening. When are we looking at the opening? What what offers are we going to offer to the constituents you have? I think it's just so natural for a franchisee. There's so much right in front of them of big stuff that marketing gets the back burner. 
And we as a system, we always like to bring it back up to the forefront on a weekly basis, just so we're all thinking like, hey, all these steps, we have to go market the store. Otherwise, you're just going to open a location, right? Like I said, we want to open big and stay big. And so taking them through that process of, okay, who are you connecting with? Who are you talking to? Measuring that, writing it down. Like, what's the opportunity there? If it's a middle school and there's 600 employees, who are you going after at the PTO? Who's this person's name? What offers are you offering? What initial events can you attend before or after you open, right? A really good example, we had a great franchisee in the Dallas Fort Worth market for Jeremiah's Italian Ice actually go to a franchisee in a nearby market, buy a lot of product, and set it up at the schools in his market before he ended open, right? So he was serving our product, his product, to his customers before he even opened, right? And just giving it away, knowing it was going to build great awareness, uh, great brand recognition, teaching them about the products. So when he did open, which was after school in the middle of summer, is one of the best openings we've ever seen in the chain just because it wasn't new to them, right? They were so excited because they all had it at their schools, at their into your school parties and just the awareness was so big. They couldn't wait to go try it in person and try the real thing. And let's talk about frequency. So I would think that Jeremiah's Italian Ice would have the same struggle that a fine dining restaurant does, right? There's just not a ton of frequency based on the type of cuisine that you're serving. I mean, people aren't going to go eat ice cream every day. I don't know if people are going to go out to eat ice cream every week. So what does the frequency strategy look like for you when you set the bar for your franchisees? The goal is to get someone in how many times a month? It's a great question. So we actually see our JLIS users, which is, again, about 30% of our customer population come about two times a month. We certainly want that more, right? And so that's some of the things we're looking at is how do we get people back into the stores a little bit more often? We certainly have customers that come every day, which is, Outstanding. We love that, but that's a ton of ice cream, right? On a weekly basis. But I think it's having different occurrences of use, right? Sometimes you come and have a gelati. Maybe on a Saturday, you come and you get pre packed quarts and take them home for a party, right? Having that messaging and creating those opportunities and events to use our product in different ways in different places, I think allows us to be an ice cream product, an ice cream offering, but used in different ways. And so one of the things we actually just recently did is we hired Erin Bono as our research and development director, and she's driving the innovation pipeline for Jeremiah as to start identifying ways that we can be top of mind through the frozen treats and maybe outside of the frozen treats, right? And so how can we be present within the household, whether it's snack time, whether it's dessert time, whether it's a birthday time, right? Are there different instances and different situations where we can be, hey, I want Jeremiah's. And that could be in any of those events or activities. But again, being top of mind to be like, I want Jeremiah's for this instance. I want Jeremiah's for these different things throughout the week. Yes, it could be that, hey, we're going out for ice cream with the family. And hopefully there's some other ways as well. Yeah, the brand's incredible. The product's incredible. It really is. I've been in the frozen dessert industry for a little while now on a couple of different occurrences. And The product is bar none to anything else that's out there in the industry. And I think customers first go and try it. They're like, oh my gosh, this stuff is amazing. And a lot of times they turn into franchisees. Almost 90% of our franchisees are customers first, right? So it shows you the power of the product and the power of the brand. But I think what's really cool about the Jeremiah's brand, the Jeremiah's franchise opportunity is 
from a QSR perspective, is not as complicated as a burger concept, as a taco concept. So people who kind of think they want to be a franchisee and are dabbling into like, maybe I should do something in food. I think it's very attractive from that perspective. And I think what people really like about it is quite honestly, it's fun. Owning an ice cream store is fun. It's a fun occurrence, right? You don't really have a lot of customer service issues. When's the last time you had a bad experience at an ice cream store, no matter where it was? It's few and far between. So I think having that hospitality mindset and being able to have those great relationships with customers that are coming in there and going on dates or birthday parties or celebrating their, their report card, different instances where it's just fun to be in business with people like that, right? And so a lot of the franchisees that we have emulate that and are like, hey, this is a really cool product. I've been a fan of it. I am a fan of it. And I want to grow this thing, right? And I can see myself growing this thing. And that's where it comes back to because we're not incredibly operationally heavy from a restaurant or QSR perspective, having those franchisees that are the brand ambassadors and can be the face of the brand in the community and go out there and be the mayor of their mile. A lot of our franchisees are that, right? And that's been a really successful model for us is saying, hey, look, like, go be the brand in your community, emulate the brand, be respective of the brand, but you know, share the brand with everyone. That's what we're looking for as franchisees. Is that scalable? I mean, to be the mayor of a mile and have 10 franchises, I would think would be difficult. And so that's my first question. But then to kind of parlay on top of that, what is the lifestyle of a Jeremiah's Italian Ice franchisee? Because to juxtapose it, when you're a franchisee of like, let's call it a Chick-fil-A, you're the manager of that Chick-fil-A. You're frying chicken. You know, right. so to juxtapose that with a Jeremiah's Italian ice, what does it look like and how does this thing scale? That's a great question. I mean, I think there's a natural scaling of it from the, you know, 2019, 2020, 21, and maybe a little bit of last year. There was the first and second stores for a lot of our franchisees. And so they were in their serving product, right? They were in there making ice. They were in there kind of being in the store. But what we're seeing now is evolving into, from a coaching perspective from our side, but also just because you kind of have to do it, as you start scaling, you have to step out of the store, right? And that really what that gives the franchisees the ability to do is, one, hire from within. If you have fantastic people on your team, elevate them to a higher role, which we've seen quite a bit done. And then that gives the franchisees to go out there and start building their relationships in the community. So actually scale actually allows us to be more active in LSM because we do have our franchisees out there in the community, right? I think there is a balance, right? You know, it's really hard to be authentic from a franchising perspective. If you're a 500-unit multi-store operator conglomerate, different levels of hierarchy or management, that does become a little bit of a challenge. But I think it is realistic to say if you have a really good five or 10-store strategic market, where you started as a franchisee and being able to tell people about your story. I do think that is authentic. And I think the story of scale makes it even more fun as you're talking about, hey, I was an insurance agent and I bet on myself and opened a Jeremiah's and now I have 10. And just, you know, there's your story kind of rises with you, which I think is one really cool just to see the story and the lives that you change, but also, again, bringing even more power to the local store marketing tactic we use and helping the franchisees be successful with those processes and those programs. Is it a seasonal business? It is. It is. So we see about a 50% difference between the summer and the winter on average. So that's something we are certainly conscious of, but I think it's more or less like planning ahead, right? You know, winter is going to be winter. You know, summer is going to be summer, right? So 
It's making sure you're staffed appropriately, making sure you have your A game ready. So the biggest thing is for new stores, balancing the new store and the timing and the opening of the new store, right? Ideally, we can open January, February, March and kind of get everyone trained up so we can have a really big summer. That's the ideal situation. But from a problem solving perspective, what if you do open in the summer as a first store, right? How are you ready, right? From a staffing perspective, from a product perspective, from a just a making sure you're ready to go because you really don't have time to waste, right? There's several things we're looking at to make it less seasonal. The great thing about ice cream is there are seasonal flavors that we can lean into with the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. Think about all the pies that are served, right? Think about all the cool flavors and treats during Christmas. So leaning into that a little bit definitely helps Jeremiah's be less seasonal. But absolutely, ice cream, you should eat more of it in the summer and eat less of it in the winter. So that's something we have to be at the forefront of and understand that and help drive more people to want to see us uh, in those colder months. And so what's the strategy there? I mean, is the strategy to make all your money for the year during those high volume months and then break even off peak? A little bit. I mean, I think that's kind of like the easy answer, but I think the what the answer that we're trying to really look at now, we'll see some new products coming out in the later part of Q4 this year and then into 2024 is how are things that we can lean into some of that seasonality and figure out to be top of mind when it is a little bit colder, right? Is that some sort of pie opportunity, right? Is that some more pie flavor, right? Is that some sort of really cool Halloween line, right? Leading into all the candies and the treats and things like that. We do a really cool promotion for Halloween where if you come and dress in your costume, you get a free gelati, right? So leaning into some of those opportunities, I think, is going to help us balance that. But absolutely, I think from a business perspective, it's training and guiding the franchisees, especially the first-time franchisees, because kind of once you go through the summer, I get it. I've seen it. I know how it works and feels. But the new franchisees being like, hey, like you're going to make money during this time of year. Don't go buy a boat. Like Make sure you put it in reserve and just get through your first fall and winter, just so you can kind of see what it looks and feels like, because every store is a little different, and get through your first 12 months. And then you can kind of figure out what to do next, right? And so and then I think you can buy a boat. Correct. So I think having those conversations is just, and we're very upfront about it too, is being like, hey, just get through your first year. There's going to be some ups and downs. We're here to help you. I think about franchising is you're not in business by yourself and you got people to help you. And so just being, I think, really about franchising and people who are getting trouble franchising is the transparency, right? Just being transparent. Like, hey, you're going to sign up. We're going to see seasonality. This is what we see on average. You might be a little bit better. You might be a little bit worse, but this is kind of what we see. So let's plan for it. Let's expect it. But also from a proactive perspective as being a great franchisor, how do we find ways to be less seasonal, right? And also how do we find ways to drive more volume and more traffic in the summer where we can do even better in the summer to make the winners that less detrimental to us, right? As big of a problem, I would think, would be labor. I coach clients that have incredibly seasonal businesses. And the big concern about labor is you paid all this money to train these people. They just got through a busy season. They've done world-class work. And now there's nothing for them to do. So either you spend three to four months paying people to do nothing, or you risk losing them you're seen as an employer that is less than loyal, or at least maybe a little too pragmatic for them. And then you struggle during the busy season to rehire because people know you're a seasonal business and you operate as such. How do you strike the balance between doing what's best for the business and retaining great talent? 
It's a great question. One of the things we are lucky with is we have a lot of high school to age labor, right? It's just part of the brand, part of who we are. We've been since 1996. This has been the natural connection to the people that work in our stores. And so it's really nice from us is the seasonality of labor kind of matches up with their interest in working, right? So school's out starting, depending on the state, May 1st, May 15th, while we're ramping up sales, right? So we're actually having the opportunity to have more labor from a hiring perspective. The nice thing also about it is we have a lot of retention, right? We actually have a very, very low retention or very, very low uh, turnover rate in regards to the industry, especially against QSR. A lot of our retention is actually just aging out. So they go to college, right? Or they move from college and become an adult, right? So we see just aging out of the system. But a lot of our franchisees, a lot of our corporate stores have had great success having someone as a sophomore or junior in college, depending on their age, work through high school, come back over the summer during college and kind of be an employee over five, six, seven year period. We've had instances where they go to college and they actually call that franchisee and want to work at their store, right? They just love the brand so much. It's definitely a challenge. I think one of the things that we're seeing is just the challenge of the scheduling of your typical high school kid now. You know, there's a lot going on, right? You've got band, you've got athletics, you've got honors, you've got all these extracurricular activities, you've got church activities, right? And so when we talk to franchisees, we'll be like, hey, you need to hire 20 people. And like 20 people, that's a lot for an ice cream store. But you have to be conscious of the fact that you're talking to a group of a labor pool that may only work one or two shifts a week, right? And so balancing that and making sure the schedule's set up and making sure you're hiring high schoolers from across the community, not just from one store. So where, hey, it's prom night and have three quarters of your staff's gone. You can't just shut down because of prom, right? So think of it from that perspective. We're really blessed because we do have a lot of high school kids and it's really cool for the brand and it really works well for us. But also there are some challenges as well that we have to just make sure we do it right and be able to, set up the store correctly. Play our franchisees, that's one of the questions we ask them is, hey, do you work with high school kids? Have you coached Little League or do you coach youth sports or have you been part of a youth group or do you have any teaching in the past or do you have kids yourself? Because you're going to be around a lot of kids as a franchisee with us, right? It's just naturally what our labor force says. And so we want to make sure our franchisees are comfortable with that and quite honestly like that. We want to wake up every day and be a mentor to kids and help kids go from where they're at today. They're where they, they can be in the future. In the midst of the pandemic, you were targeting over 50 locations for growth. During, I would argue, peak fear in the restaurant industry, you're like, where can we go? What can we do? Which either made you a genius or a fool, depending on how it all worked out. Now it worked out well, so you're a genius. Yay. But in a time of great fear, when you're making these bold actions, what was the driving force there? And how did you make sure that the decisions you were making were educated decisions when it was such an uncertain time? Yeah, I mean, I think some of it were blessings and disguises, but some of us you absolutely had to keep the franchisees first. Like we had signed up a group of franchisees and we were opening their first stores and our first stores in the franchising program during the peak months of the pandemic, right? And so you have to problem solve, you have to work things out. Obviously, it was interesting. You know, different cities and different states had different restrictions on what you could or couldn't do and, and all those things, where you can train, where you can't train, how many people can train, you know, when do you close and open a store. We all had to problem solve that. And so I think, quite honestly, you had to, right? You had franchisees that were looking to you for answers, and you had to work together to create the best case scenario for them in that situation. 
we were really lucky in the fact, especially in the frozen dessert ice cream world, it's a lot of people were at home. A lot of people were stuck inside. A lot of people were like, what the heck can we do to go outside? And we could be that treat, right? We can be that fun thing where it's like, let's get off Zoom. Let's shut down the iPad for a while. Let's go outside, sit underneath the picnic table and have ice cream as a family for 25 minutes, right? And so between that and also our model, we have a lot of walk-up stores. So you can do a walk-up window, grab a product, either go home or sit outside. And so I think we were blessed and lucky from the fact that our real estate choices and model had really nice outdoor offerings and opportunities that we were able to lead into what the world was then. But also, you know, just in our experience in franchising and doing franchising, not me personally, but members of my team franchising through 07, 08, 09, you have to problem solve to figure things out for the franchisees. And if you do that, you keep the growth going, right? So luckily, a lot of our franchisees during that time had great success. And during the pandemic, they were signing leases for the second store when a lot of times there was lots of concepts closing, right? And so that gave us the ability to be really strategic, take over a lot of second generation spaces so that you know, decreased our costs. And quite honestly, get a lot of really cool opportunities too. It allowed us to be, do the first standalone location in North Carolina. So because we were able to be strategic during that time, there's a lot of benefit at the tail end of that that really allows the people we're at today. Our industry is filled with a bunch of unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see it turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? It's a great question. One of the things I'd like to see in franchising specifically and in the merging franchise space is I think we over-franchise things. If you look at the data and you look at the history of franchising, only 14 or 15% of all concepts ever get to over-owned locations, right? And depending on your UV, your size of your space, and your profitability matrix, more or less 100 is kind of like success, right? And so if you're looking at that model in franchising, you're talking 86% of brands never saw success. Why is that, right? And so it's over-franchising. It's the cool new hip thing and first couple concepts has 2 million in sales. So we're going to franchise it. You know, I don't know, but I think having people be franchisor first from that perspective and really make sure, Hey, talking to founders and looking at everything that's there and everything that's not and having candid conversations, because as a founder of a concept where they have one, five or 10 locations, once you turn franchising on, it's really hard to turn off. Right. Because you're going to have franchisees, you're going to have a franchise system, you got to support them. And so let's really have real, authentic, transparent conversations of what franchising is, what franchising isn't, and is this truly the route you should go? And how are we going to make this successful for you, which really is the success of the franchisees? And so I think a lot of times we see in our world, people over-franchise things, it's really easy to sell a concept that is sexy and looks great. And so it's oversold and you have a lot of franchisees that may or may not want to be there or should be there. And all of a sudden you have 40, 50, 60 locations and you're trying to figure out what the heck to do with them, right? And so the more I think, and this is what we really try to do is have conversations with founders and take a look at a concept and nothing's ever 100%. Let's really have candid conversations about this is what franchising is. This is what it isn't. The staff you had today may not be enough in the next two years, right? Your, your staff that runs five locations may not be the right people to run 100 locations, right? So the more, based on our experience, we can have candid conversations with 
the shareholders, the franchisors, the founders of this is what you have to do now. This is what you have to do later to give you the best chance of success. I think that's the right thing to do. That's what I'd like to see more in franchising is just that transparency to founders, right? You see all these concepts start franchising. You're like, man, should you have really franchised or should you have grown corporately and had a 20 store chain and be really successful, right? Both of those are good answers, but which one was the right answer for the founder, right? And which one's the right answer for the franchisees? Because you franchise something that you shouldn't have, the founder gets hurt a little bit, but the franchisees get hurt a lot, right? So that's the thing I'd like to see less of. Our industry suffers from razor-thin margins, and the only way for us to ensure profitability is to make data-driven decisions. The numbers don't lie, and Yelp for Restaurants just released some incredibly compelling numbers. For starters, Yelp reaches nine times more customers online than OpenTable. And would restaurants pair that level of visibility with Guest Manager and Yelp ads, they experience up to an 8% lift in diner bookings. Think about what that 8% lift could do for your restaurant's finances. To learn more about how Yelp for Restaurants can support your business, visit restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp to learn more today. That's Casey Cooley. For more information on Jeremiah's Italian Ice, visit jeremiahsice.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.